Work Joy Jam podcast. I'm your host, Beth Stallwood, founder of Create Work Joy. In this episode, I am joined by the wonderful Rachel Becht. And Rachel has an incredible background in education as a teacher and now runs her business, Educating Matters, where she does the most incredible work helping parents to help their children with education, with life, with things that they find difficult. And I think over the last year and a half with things like the pandemic, this question of parenting and working and people having to do all these things at the same time in a really different way to how they've managed these things before, it's such an important subject. And also, I want to say, I am not a parent person unless you count me being a fur baby mummy, which I am for my dog. And although you may be thinking, oh, if I'm not a parent, is this one for me? There are so many things here that I think go beyond what you can do in parenting. So much great advice. And I know I took loads from it. I'll pop on at the end and tell you what my takeaways are. So if you are a parent person, loads of great advice for you. If you aren't, maybe have a listen and see what you can discover as well. So here is over to Rachel and I in our conversation all about this thing called parenting and how it really is one of the hardest jobs you can ever do. Hello and welcome to the Work Joy Jam. Today we are joined by the fantastic Rachel Becht and I'm going to hand over to Rachel now to introduce herself and to kind of give us a little bit of her backstory and how she got to where she is today. So Rachel, over to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. So so my background actually is I started out my career as a primary school teacher, which is something that I always wanted to do and I did that for around seven years. And I realized when I was teaching that parents were perhaps not being used enough of of, as a resource. And I felt that parents are a child's most important teacher. So I found myself giving quite a lot of guidance and support to the parents of the students in my class. And then when I had my first child, which is coming up to 20 years ago, I wrote a really short course on for parents on how children learn to read and how to instill in children a love of books. And I ended up um, doing a talk in a friend's house where there was an investment banker sitting in the audience. And he was said, this is, you know, this is so helpful. Any chance you can come into my office one lunchtime and give this talk to some of my colleagues that are parents. So I was like, okay, I don't mind, (laughs) anything goes. Um, And that is literally where it started. And it was so well received that I then called a few other banks and then a few more law firms. And then they said, well, how do you teach children to do maths? And how do I choose a school for my child? And how do I deal with sibling rivalry? And it was never, I always thought I would stay in the education system, but it just grew and grew and grew. And then as I went through the experience of having my own four children, I was very much able to draw on teaching other people's kids, um, teaching, supporting my own and raising them but then getting the opportunity to speak to tens of thousands of working parents and get a real sense of of the challenges that they face. So it's really constantly evolving and growing organically according to the need. And of course, this last year has all been about how the hell do you work and look after and homeschool your children (laughs) at the same time. So I just kind of go with whatever topics people need support with. 
I love it. Thank you so much for such a great intro. And I love that, you know, where you're having your own child and you're doing a little talk and suddenly it becomes um, over time, that thing that becomes your career and uh, hopefully, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but brings you some joy in your working life as well. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Um, some things to ask you, and I'm going to put things out there like parenting, challenging in the last year even more challenging than probably it's been in a very, very long time. I will put the caveat out there that I am a non-parent person. Um, I have relatives, my sister's got two kids, and I've got a lot of friends with young kids who are in that zone of, or have been in the zone of trying to balance parenting and work and life and time for themselves. And one of the things that we talk about in the work joy theory of everything, and theory of life and theory of work, is that work if you put that label on things also includes the things that are outside of your job so things you don't get paid for things like volunteering and obviously parenting so one of the things I'm thinking about is a bit of a perspective on this from my perspective where I see it and I obviously work with a lot of parents I know a lot of parents it's a a a big thing here and I've always labeled it possibly and maybe I'm wrong but the hardest job that you don't get paid for and you have no training to make it happen Absolutely, 1 million percent. I literally say to parents every day, parenting is the hardest job in the world with the least amount of training. Um, And, you know, I've spoken to tens of thousands of parents over the last 26 years, and it doesn't matter what their background is, how they were raised, you know, who they are within a business or organization. Parenting is just the best leveler because we face so many common challenges. And I you know, outside the workplace for for decades, I've been running like a positive parenting course. And I've had teachers and doctors and psychologists on my course. And I'm like, why are you here? You must be a real expert in this. And they're like, no, no, I'm great with other people's children. (laughs) I'm seriously struggling with my own. And, you know, I can relate to that. Basically, children have a potential to push your buttons like nobody else in the world because we're we're so emotionally connected to them and so desperate to get things right. And then we kind of tie up their successes or failures with our own. And it's really hard to just stand back, let them be independent and own their own problems. You know, something something really which highlighted this for me the other month. So I was interviewed um, on BBC Radio about some work I was doing with a law firm. And the radio host said he'd spoken to Mark Omrod. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the UK's first triple amputee to survive the Afghanistan conflict. And he had told this radio host that he's got three kids, Mark. And he said homeschooling was the hardest thing he'd ever experienced in his life. And I'm thinking, how is that possible if you are a triple amputee and you were told you'd never be able to walk again? How can homeschooling be harder? But that's what he said. So yeah, gives you a sense of what it's been like for parents the last year. And it's, you know, parenting hard enough, normal world, normal life, trying to work and parent and do all the things that you want to do in the last year when that has included not just when kids have had to be at home, but also kind of the stress that kids are under, understanding what's going on in the world and that things are changing and that, no, you can't go and see your grandparents or you can't see your friends or in that world. It's a, it's a really, it's been a really challenging parenting year, hasn't it? 
it really it really has um but on the other hand parents i mean a lot of the what the, the parents i work with are, are literally working full time and they they've just really although it's been challenging they've had that opportunity to deepen their relationship and connection with kids with their children um spend so much valuable time with them and get to understand them better and possibly kind of rethink how they work in the future because they valued that time with them so much yeah um so in terms of joy and work joy so obviously that's the topic of our podcast but I'm really interested here is one of the things that I often find with with parents that I'm talking to that I'm coaching that I'm working with in organizations is this challenge of how do I do all of these things and do them well enough and you know how do I do my full-time job or my part-time job or whatever work it is that I'm trying to do how do I do that and how do I look after my kids and do a good job with them and then how do I actually have some like time for myself as well and I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges I find when I'm talking to parents is there is not enough time to do all the things they want to do and they're always feeling like they're doing something badly what what's your advice around that kind of feeling and how do we help people move from that into something where they can feel like they're doing a great job or doing the best they can and still able to have some joy in their life yeah I mean what you've just described echoes what I hear almost repeatedly every day and I sometimes I sometimes feel myself so we you know we want to have that time there's three main areas there's your work there's your family and yourself and especially parents tend to sacrifice I call it sacrifice yourself on the altar of parenthood anyone with (laughs) anyone with caring responsibilities you put yourself last and I always say to parents self-care is not selfish If you are running on empty, you're not going to be able to look after anyone else. You know, it's that same concept of Mm. putting on an oxygen mask on a plane before you help someone else. I normally start, when I work with parents, I say the number one thing is to kind of establish your why or your purpose. Just, Just take a bit of time to think what is really important to you and what do you value? And as children get older, even to create, create what I call like a family mission statement together, to give you that compass and destination. This comes from the idea of Stephen Covey and his habit number two, which is begin with the end in mind. Mm. So that you're constantly, however much, you know, some days really struggling, keep reminding yourself why you do what you do. And also to really consciously define your boundaries, you know, for yourself, for your work and for your family. And People aren't mind readers, so make sure, have you communicated those boundaries, you know, to your partners, to your children, to your work colleagues? And I think the big challenge of of what we've faced the last year is that everything is just mushed together. (laughs) We're like sleeping, working, eating, parenting, everything all in the same environment. And we haven't had those, you know, even the commute to work gives you that that boundary and that, that kind of break from one thing to another so you've got to be you know when you're with your kids be with your kids put your phone down and it it, you know it can be for 10 minutes 10 minutes of really focusing and pouring your love and affection on them I call it special time it's like literally vitamins for their soul it doesn't need to be half a day or a day just 
capturing those moments and then say, no, I've got 20 minutes now. I'm going to work on this, this, this project. I'm not going to check my emails. I think that's the problem that our time feels splintered because we let everything kind of merge together. So I think it's mm. about creating a system that really works for you um, and trying to make some of those really boring routine things somehow happen on autopilot like especially being a parent even if you're not naturally organized it forces you to be um a little bit more structured and the other thing the other thing i would say and i need to follow this advice is to learn (laughs) how to delegate i always say to parents ask yourself this question whether your child is two or 20 what are you doing for them that they could be doing learning to do for themselves it's like humans are the only creatures that devote their energy to making their offspring happy. The rest of the animal kingdom, it's all about fostering competence to survive in the world. So getting your kids involved and being independent and taking responsibility, it's not like, oh, it's chores, but this helps to boost, you know, their confidence and self-esteem. So they generally feel they're contributing to the home. It's really interesting. There's a few things I want to go back and pick up on because I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, and there are also so many parallels with working life as well when you think about these things um, I'm loving this idea of like a family mission statement like what is it we're actually trying to do here what is our what is our family I kind of like motto or mantra or something that we always come back to I think that's a really interesting idea and if you think about organizations as a structure like a family I mean obviously they're much bigger and different ways of thinking but so many organizations now are really focusing on purpose they're really focusing on values they're really focusing on what's the behavior it seems like translating that and actually spending the time thinking about that for your family could be a really great thing to do absolutely like schools do it organizations charities and I'm like this is kind of your own mini just and there's no right or wrong but it's having that conversation with your partner and with your children when they're old enough and they're you know for some it could be I don't know, like charitable work or work ethic or just respect and empathy for others. But it's just actually tangibly kind of articulating what it is and is the way I'm living my life aligned with with those values and those people that I really respect and admire. A really good check in as well. Like if something's not feeling right, is it because we're doing something that doesn't fit in with that? Is it because we've gone, you know, too far in one direction or another and we, we haven't come back to what we're trying to actually do exactly exactly I love that so so interesting and then the other one on boundaries and wow boundaries such a big topic to talk about we could probably do about four hours couldn't we um diving into boundaries but I, I'm loving this idea and I, I this is one of the things about work joy as well is that when people hear that they assume that we're trying to make everyone happy 100% of the time and that is not at all what life is like it is about what is that 10 minutes of joy that you could just give yourself right now what could you do in such a small way that gives you that little boost that gives you some joy and I'm I'm loving this idea that actually children don't need 100% of your attention but when you're giving them attention give it to them in that small space of time yeah I read last year, I read this New York Times bestseller. It's called, um, I think it's called A Time to Parent. And what, what that was saying is you can split parenting into like, they were saying like parts. There's, there's four elements to parenting, provide, arrange, relate, which is all about relationships and teach. 
And there's a distinction between what you do as a parent that's visible to your child and what is invisible. And when you start to analyze how you spend your time as a parent, you maybe realize that quite a lot of it is, you, you know that being a parent takes up a lot of, it, of your time, but if that time isn't visible to your children, you know, working is part of it because you're working to be able to feed them and clothe them and look after them. Yeah. But that occurs in the adult world, not in your child's world. So they don't see it in that way. So thinking about how your child perceives what you do and the time you spend together. I also think, and again, from a non-parent, so it's a very different experience when I'm with my friend's kids or when I'm with my uh, nephews, etc. is that if you give kids 10 minutes of like real attention, after 10 minutes, they get a bit bored of you anyway and want to go and do something else. Yeah. And what, I mean, what it's about is because there's a lot of kind of helicoptering that goes on, especially with little kids. Like even if you're playing, you know, with, with a Lego, oh no, put the brick like this, do that. It's really giving them that sense of control and autonomy. And it's just about your presence. Um, it's kind of like the power of showing up. That's all you need to do is just give them your attention and step into their world. So whether that is like, oh God, you can't imagine the things I've had to do with my kids, but you know, <laughs> dress up as a ballerina in a ballet class or listen to my son for the five millionth time while he plays something on his DJ decks, which I hate the music. <laughs> but it's just, or seeing what my other child's like doing on Instagram or my worst, sorry, is TikTok, having to do a TikTok dance. But it's just like there's no agenda from the side of the parent. It's just to kind of give them that attention. And what I find afterwards is they're so much, they feel so much more connected and so much more cooperative. Like a lot yeah. of children's lives is being, is being told what they've done wrong and being given instructions by adults. And that isn't really a relationship. But it's those pockets, like people, working parents think, oh, you know, I've got... I'm, do you, I, what I always say is the parents that are at home and are not working, it's not as if they're spending all day long doing arts and crafts and like taking their kids out all the time and doing amazing activities. It's just consciously making the most of those pockets of time, whether it's work, whether it, with it's your kids or whether it's with yourself. A parent the other day told me she ran a bath for her five-year-old and he absolutely refused to get in it. And she thought, do you know what? I haven't got the patience for this. I'm going to get myself a glass of wine and I'm going to sit in that bath at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and that's an example of self-care. And she's like, that 10 minutes felt like, you know, an afternoon at a spa. I just so needed it. And it's being realistic about how you use your time. And I, and I read somewhere else, it said, our perception of time is our reality. It's not even about how you spend it, it's how you perceive it. And it's like being busy has become this status symbol, but actually we need to just step back sometimes and just press the pause button. And isn't it lovely when you do step into a child's world without any kind of agenda, without trying to get them to do something? Their imaginations and the stories that they come up with are incredible, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah, totally. You get to really understand a bit more about where they're coming from. Yeah, and also as adults, our best ideas do not come when you're sitting at a desk. Like you need yeah. that downtime. You need to be going for a walk or it, it, you can't like force yourself to come up with this, with problem solving and creativity when you're sitting down. Like 
the other thing is with, with adults is we don't I don't I, mean, I don't know why I'm saying this because I don't do this but we don't spend enough time just like playing like that lightness of being where we haven't got any agenda for ourselves and I don't even really include exercise in that because we know we need to do that like for our physical health and it's always a an agenda behind it but just like being able to kind of play and yeah. improvise and be creative I it always it totally reminds me of that that play idea of um listening to Brené Brown talk about her work and I, I love all of her, her work is so interesting but she talked about how when she realized through her research that the people who were kind of living their full and best lives were the people that really engaged in play and she was like I can't understand that I don't know why isn't there an agenda <laughs> it's like that yeah. that shock but actually the realization of how important it is to let ourselves do that play thing uh, whatever that is for you some kind of mental release or some kind of um you know as you say exercise for adults has become something that you have to do versus something that you just want to kind of go and do and have fun with it so such a great thing and uh, that's where t uh, kids can really teach adults isn't it yeah and apparently women are particularly bad <laughs> at engaging in in play like you know I don't know it's like let's go to a trampoline park like which women would go and do that without children I'm not saying that but it's just thinking when do you have that time just to just to be without a plan yeah. I certainly don't. I don't know why I'm saying this because I've never done it. <laughs> but I, most of what I, most of what I say about parenting, I try and put in practice myself. But this is not <laughs> this is not my strong point. This might be one to be working on. Hang on, we're all we're all imperfect, though, aren't we? And that's um, again something I, I want to talk to you about is that this feeling that I get from a lot of parents that they're trying to be perfect and then they're trying to be perfect at work and trying to do everything so that they create perfect children and I'm just thinking that expectation on children probably isn't very fair either is it that no we're trying to create I mean, perfect happy humans no and it's not I mean I always say to parents who are aiming for good enough not perfect I've got plenty of articles on my website about <laughs> what it means to be a good enough parent and and also I, I the other my, one of my other favorite sayings is expectations are resentments waiting to happen there's no Ooh, point. I love that. There's no point setting unrealistic expectations either for yourself or your children because you're kind of you're setting yourself up to fail. It's yeah. it's much better to teach your kids like small, tiny, manageable steps um, and and having an objective we're working towards and we're not there yet. Like the word yet is such a powerful word. If, if a child says to me, I can't do this maths, I don't understand the vision, you can't, you know, maybe it feels like you can't do it yet. That doesn't mean you're never going to be able to do it. So it's absolutely dropping any idea of perfection. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I saw a great thing, and it was one of those like meme things. I don't even know if I'm saying that right because I'm not very cool, but and it was like a picture of parenting from like a hundred years ago, and the parenting advice then was, you know, feed them, wash them occasionally, and now the parenting advice is make sure they have a great education, make sure they have exercise, make sure they have an organic, vegetarian, vegan dinner, make sure that, make sure that, make sure that, and. That, that layering of expectations and I'm totally loving your phrase that they are resentments waiting to happen because it's so true isn't it anytime you have that big expectation of people or yourself you're always gonna be somehow disappointed mm. 
I mean, the, the thing that I, when I started, like when I started Educating Matters 20 years ago, I was trying to unlock for parents how best to educate their kids, how they learn to read and math. And then I realized, no, 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 this is not, this is not the priority. It's working on relationship, communication, connection. Everything boils down to that. And like I said, attitude, motivation and mindset, the rest will fall into place. And so I say to parents, that needs to be your priority, working out how you can deepen that connection and relationship and really enable all children really want from their parents is to feel heard and understood. And that's yeah. all we want from anyone, whether that's, you know, our pet, our own parents, our partners, our work colleagues. We just want that space to kind of be who we want to be and sit with our own feelings and not feel like we need to be, you know, someone else. And that's, I think if you focus on that and you're just thinking, my main job as a parent is to raise an adult with all the qualities and characteristics that, that they will need to succeed in life. And there are so many days, you know, parents feel like a PA and a chef and a banker and an entertainment director <laughs> and a cleaner. And a, but actually, we get so stuck in it, we're losing sense of, of this bigger picture, which is to prepare your child to kind of go out into the world and be independent themselves. And on that theme, one of the things I was really um, listening to you say and, and really thinking, isn't that a really good idea, is what can kids do for themselves? Because that, whatever age they are, really does build resilience. And I, I was looking at a friend's Instagram yesterday and every Thursday, their little girl, I think she must be about four, decides what they're going to cook, gets the ingredients and cooks dinner from a children's cookbook Amazing. obviously supervised by the parents it's not like they're you know playing with gas without any kind of supervision but from such a young and I was like wow that's amazing and it's something you see so rarely and I see so many parents going oh what we're going to feed the children today especially where we've been in lockdown and it's like every single meal and snack and you feel like you are that kind of constant chef but thinking about that like from such a young age building the ability to cook a life skill and something that they can really own and I, I've never thought about making a, a four-year-old or considering a four-year-old to be able to do that but doing it successfully once a week yeah I mean that's just, if you start thinking about it there are so many areas irrespective of their age that kids can start to contribute and when everyone was like oh I can't I can't deal with this homeschooling I was like forget about homeschooling that's not what you're doing anyway your kids are at the school of life and they are yeah. learning so much about you know, what's involved in running a home and contributing and cooking and putting on a washing machine and doing an online shopping order and, you know, all the values that you're emphasizing whilst you're with them and, and getting that broader sense that we're part of a big community. And so they've they've learned so much this past year, which isn't on the school curriculum or an exam syllabus, but it's probably more valuable than a lot of the stuff they learn in school, which is quite controversial because I used to train teachers and being <laughs> on myself, but that's what I now think. Honestly, yeah. a lot of what they're doing is Victorian rote learning. And I mean, that's a, an, a topic for another day. Uh, we could do, <laughs> that we could really needs do. to be reconsidered. <laughs> Uh, we had uh, Kath Bishop on the first season of the podcast and we could have gone down that education route as well about how we how are we teaching 
people to be people of the future and to be able to make it happen because the education system isn't really working for that but again probably not time on this one but maybe we'll do a, a conversation later on about how could we change some of that thinking because you're right some of the stuff that I I mean so, firstly some of the stuff that I have seen primary school children have to do I could not do and I would consider myself a fairly okay educated person you know there, there is no way I could do it and thinking about what use is that going to be in the future for them in the future world in the world of work in 20 years time yeah for jobs that haven't even been invented yet exactly (laughs) so actually there's something here isn't there about teaching kids to be adults teaching them how to do things like money and how to do things like cooking and how to do things like having a great conversation all of which are skills that they can take through life versus I I mean, I don't even know what some of those things were called, but some of the English or maths lessons that just completely blew my mind. And I was like, "Mm." but kids right now, like my my watch can be more of a calculator than my brain can ever be. Do they really need all of that? Exactly. Exactly. And also because, I mean, the school day is so structured whilst they've been at home. Of course, it's been difficult, but they've learned so many like light work skills. So time management so often they set the work and it's up to them to get it done in the day it's not like maths is from 11.05 to 11.40 and then the bell's going and you're going to walk into the playground so they've learned about managing their time they've learned about organizing themselves they've learned about how to deal with kind of procrastination and if you don't feel focused and that's exactly what we do in our jobs as adults for sure and I think I'm also thinking about how many of the bits of advice you've given about parenting we could directly take and make advice about managing and leading people well that is what comes out (laughs) every single session I do so the other day I did a talk um on on emote like how to help children manage and articulate their emotions and someone wrote a line manager wrote ah now I understand the best way to um, listen to, you know, that person when they're really seriously kind of frustrated or overwhelmed. And now I realize why those conversations are not going so well. So much of it translates to all relationships and basically how to communicate with anyone. And sometimes when I, when I speak in the corporate world, they can almost hear it more easily when you're talking about it through a child. It feels like less like you're you're kind of criticizing them and then Mm. they make that link themselves yeah I mean I just think that every literally everything you said so far translates completely into are we giving people the tools that they when we're training people are we giving the tools they need to be able to do their job well or are we training them how to do it by rote are we you know can we have that conversation that says "Mm, I noticed Rachel that you you didn't um you know look so good in our meeting this morning is everything okay can you you know is there something going on when we see frustration in people we often say things like oh well they're not a team player or something like that and you're like actually there's something going on in their world why don't we have a conversation about it instead um there's just so many yeah great translations there um here's a question for you because you said it there is that you know how do you help children with their emotions and I know we don't have time because there's probably like four hours worth of content to talk about here but I know that's one thing that um my friends and my family with their kids they find really hard when kids are really emotional and they won't they can't get them to tell them what's going wrong I'd love to know if you've got any kind of quick top tips on how to do that 
Oh, you've just picked up on my favorite topic of conversation. Oh. <laughs> so I always, I've been saying forever that emotional intelligence counts way more than IQ to succeed mm. in life. And parents, stop worrying about your child like getting 12 A stars and focus more on whether they know how to actually manage and articulate their emotions, because that's going to affect everything that they do later in yeah. life. So um, I love, I don't know if you've ever heard of Professor John Gottman, the founder of the Gottman Institute. But he kind of created this this phrase of being an emotion coach for a for a child um, and his books, Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. But it, essentially, it's all about when um, when a person is experiencing an emotion, they're going to be behaving probably in a way that you don't if it's a child that you don't like, because maybe they're ignoring you or being rude or throwing things across the room or, or not following yeah. instructions. <laughs> and what we do is we just react to that behavior. But actually, that is just literally the tip of the iceberg. The main problem underneath is the emotions and feelings that are driving that behavior. And the same thing applies to adults. So it's really about using, some people call it active listening, reflective listening. It's just in that moment, your first priority is to get that person back to feeling it calm because their, their thinking part of the brain is completely offline when you're yeah. triggered by your emotions. So it's literally just offering empathy and understanding even if you don't agree with them and you don't agree with how they're behaving it's not asking questions and dismissing and um you know making suggestions and giving advice it's literally just saying I get it I understand I can see that you're really frustrated or I realize that it's so hard to go back to school and get up at 6 30 in the morning when for three months you've been able to get out of bed at 8 30. it's not saying stay in bed for another two hours but you're just saying, I understand, I, I'm, I'm listening and I get it. That That is literally the number one thing that you can do. And especially with young kids, to give them the vocabulary to describe those emotions. You know, we say to four-year-olds, use your words. Well, they know what a tractor is or a cup, but how are they meant to know what it means to be frustrated or embarrassed? You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't see an emotion. So we've got to start to, to share that vocabulary with them and help them to understand that everyone can feel however they want to feel. The behavior might not all be acceptable, but that's secondary. <laughs> yeah, because actually it's a bit like, isn't it? It's about like treating the symptom rather than the cause. If you're treating the behavior versus the what's, what's causing the behavior, exactly. you're going to just get yourself into a pattern of always doing that. Whereas if, if you can, and as you said, in that situation, when your emotions take over your behavior, having a very logical conversation isn't going to work because that bit of your brain doesn't work. No, you're basically your amygdala, the fight, flight, freeze is firing off on all cylinders. And that logical thinking part of the brain is like has gone to sleep until you calm down. You can't even access it. So you're wasting your breath trying to give advice or use logical reasoning. Um, and for, for anyone who's ever been told to calm down when they're in a situation, uh, saying calm down isn't going to work either. It's going to send like even more red mist. There's this the, doctor the in the US, Dr. Dan Siegel, and he has this phrase. It's name it to tame it. Literally just name the emotion in that moment. Have you ever seen that movie Inside Out, that kid's movie? Yeah, I love but it. It's literally you can see how, pet how parents are pouring petrol on the fire. You want to engage, not enrage <laughs> in oh, this yeah. moment. 
engaged, not enraged. You see, you're full of amazing advice. Um, but again, I'm sitting here thinking, but this is the same for grown-ups, isn't it? Of course exactly. it is. It's, it's the basis of psychotherapy. Control over it occasionally. Or we, we do that thing, I think, as adults, where we are feeling that emotion. But instead of actually saying anything about it, or instead of kind of going off in one, because we've most of the time we learn not to, is we do that seething thing where everyone else can feel that there's something wrong, but you're not actually saying it. Mm. But there's just like this in- negative emotion pouring out of us. Yeah. And also to be really aware that we've got like in our brains, we've got these mirror neurons, which means we mirror the emotions of each other. So it's being conscious. I mean, this applies again to work with or without kids, like even for your work colleagues of the of that energy that you're radiating, because people mirror it. If you smile at someone in the street, they'll smile back. If you ever seen a three year old having a tantrum in a supermarket, basically their parent is also having a mini tantrum. (laughs) (laughs) But we get so triggered by each other as well. Yeah. And and then the, then everyone thinks, you know, being judged by other parents and it makes them even more mad. And then oh, you get that's that called PWA, time. parenting with an audience. Worst situation to be in <laughs> because then you behave in ways you never, you know, like, oh, everyone's looking at me. <laughs> Our parents are amazing at catastrophizing. You've no idea the thought, the thoughts that race through your mind in those moments without <laughs> you even consciously realizing. And that's why we kind of act in ways that we then regret. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do you a confession now one of my earliest memories is um I think it was on a Christmas Eve I can't remember exactly when it was because I was quite young and uh we'd gone to like some church service and my dad had come with us my dad didn't like going to church so he was like oh I'll come to church with you and I remember being marched out of church by my dad and walked home very very sternly because I got bored and cartwheeled down the middle of the church aisle and um yeah you know you think that parenting with an audience now I think about it, I was like oh god he must have felt so awful at the time I was like I was bored therefore I cartwheeled what's wrong with that but kids don't have that same like logic or the same we haven't learned to change they haven't learned to change their behavior by the judgment of others yet yeah exactly exactly so, so true. yeah love that and catastrophizing parenting with an audience <laughs> which happens well I suppose not not recently uh, in terms of lockdown etc but um it definitely happens quite a lot doesn't it and then you know that judgment and where yeah especially at. grandparents like oh you know you feel this pressure that maybe you can't parent in the way that you want to because they just think you're giving in the authoritarian yeah. side of parenting is not as popular as it was <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not the same. It's not the same, is it? It's a different, different world now. Um, and you know, those mirror neurons is something we talk about in work joy. Is around the fact that if you get some joy in your world, it is catching. People will catch that work joy. They'll go, ah, oh, someone's got a smile on their face over there because they've done something joyful. What's that all about? And you, you, it happens subconsciously. Does it? And 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 that, and. But do you want that to be catching? Do you want the bad stuff to be catching or the good stuff? And both of them will. So how do you make that happen? This is like all amazing, brilliant stuff. And there's so many parallels to the world of work and the world of parenting. You know, things like boundaries being really important. I'm so, yeah, definitely on board with that. Can we go back to boundaries for a minute before uh, kind of we head into some quick fire questions is how can people who find that hard take a little step towards being clear on what their boundaries are about themselves their family their working life what are some of your ways of making that work 
I think you've got you've really got to personalize this. So you can't just inherit a system that someone else has. It's it's about starting with defining what is important. So like one parent will say, oh, I allocate two hours on a Sunday morning when I catch up on all my emails during the week. And that just relieves a lot of pressure. And someone else would say that is my worst nightmare. I need to know that weekends are completely clear. So it's giving yourself that time to, to think of a system that works. And even like little things like if we're still working at home and the kids are back at school, you know, force yourself to schedule in um, 20 or 30 minutes to actually walk outside at lunchtime. It's it's it, you know, that idea of smart goals. I can't remember specific, measurable, achievable, whatever they are, time related, yeah. but just tiny, tiny steps one at a time. T really small little tweaks can make a huge, huge difference. So you've just got to get started somewhere. But give yeah. yourself the time to actually get off that hamster wheel and just stop and think, hang on, how can I just make this work differently? Even things like using timers, right? So get a kitchen timer or that Pomodoro technique where I'm setting the timer for 25 minutes and I'm not going to look at my emails. I'm just focusing on this specific piece of work. When that timer goes off, I'm then going to spend, you know, 15 minutes with my child or know that when they walk in from school, because you might not be able to do that for that much longer, I am going to go and greet them at the door and I'm just going to have, you know, 15 minutes of snuggle time and just to catch up. But you just got to consciously think about what works for you and, and really small, manageable, achievable, realistic targets. And that's such great advice. And it, it's so often we think, don't we, that we need to change everything because something's not working out or we don't feel in control of what's going on or, you know, we're not making the time in the right places at the moment is we think we have to change everything, but actually just changing one small thing, doing one small thing a day and then adding on another small thing when you've got that as a habit can really make that work. Yeah. And it is, it is kind of creating those habits that you suddenly get into that flow and routine so that you don't even have to think about it so much. The, the thing that people really struggle with, especially parents, is called like this mental load. All the stuff we are carrying around in our heads, thinking about what we need to do. I mean, I feel it, for God's sake, with four kids and running my own business. <laughs> but I'm like, how can I, how can I just get some of that stuff out of my head and make it happen almost like on autopilot? And that relieves some of that pressure. And the other thing is, how do I make some things feel less urgent? So how do I make more time for the things that are really important, like exercise or one to one time with your child or picking up the phone to a friend, but they're not urgent because it's the things that feel really, really urgent that just suck our time and energy because they have to be dealt with like now or by this evening. Mm. And that's what creates like a pressure cooker of, of stress. So how can you be a bit more proactive and not make everything urgent? I mean, you can't always do that because sometimes things pop up that you hadn't expected, especially with kids. Yeah. And like this is all trying to do it within real life. And, and again, your thing about let's not aim for perfection here is there's going to be days when you can't do all this stuff. There's going to be something that happens at work that's going to take your attention and you're not going to be able to do it. Or there's going to be something that happens in your family, which means you can't do the urgent thing at work because that's the real life of where we're at. But just those little small things. And you're right, that 
a lot of what I see going on is that mental load becomes so big, but that it's never been shared or vocalized or said, hang on a minute, how do we actually deal with all of these different things? You know, who could I delegate it to? Could the kids do that themselves? And the same at work. Like, how can I share? Like your colleagues are not, they're not mind readers. If you haven't even worked it out for yourself, let alone communicated it to someone else, how's anyone going to even know like someone else might come up with such a great solution that just takes that that pressure away and you didn't even know it was there because you've got to yeah. first consciously articulate what it is yeah. and then talk about it with someone else, whether it's work related or something in your family. Yeah, and even if it is both of those, so you, it might be actually saying to your team, actually, Sunday's a real pres- uh, precious time for me. So if you're emailing me on a Sunday, I'm not going to respond until a Monday, just so you know. Yeah, it's just it's just letting people know. But if you haven't if you haven't worked it out for yourself, it's very hard to communicate. And that that idea of problem shared, problem hard is usually actually a problem shared is someone else has a better solution than you've been able to come up with yourself. And you can find some ways of doing it. And also it just builds other people being able to empathize with your situation and know what's going on for you. Yeah, exactly. As my, I love the saying what, what is shareable becomes bearable. But just talking about it will help you to get, often helps you to get that clarity. That's the other benefit of like using this kind of emotion coaching or reflective listening. Because as you talk through something and begin to calm down, you see how to solve the problem very often yourself. That person isn't actually really doing anything. A therapist doesn't solve your problems. They just help you see, like articulate what they are. And then you talk through them yourself. Love it. Right. I'm going to move us on to some quick fire questions for you, Rachel, if you're happy to do this. I mean, we could talk for probably another three whole days about parenting and all of your amazing ideas, but I'm, I'm, I'm loving the little things that you've got here, like shareable becomes bearable. So true in everything that we do in life, right? There's something that's going on in our head. We tend to catastrophize it. We tend to make it bigger than it is. We don't find all the solutions. I love it. So quick fire questions over to you is, for you personally, and obviously um, bringing up four children, running your own business, you haven't got it. Um, it's not like you're sat around going, I've got it all perfect here. But in your life, what is guaranteed for you to bring you a little bit of work joy? I think it is knowing, especially through all these talks and support I'm giving, that every day somehow I'm trying to help a family improve their relationship with their children and family life. and just you know being authentic and trying to make that small difference that tiny tweak that suggestion of an idea in someone's mind that can actually really really um contribute to a change at home Uh, that is so lovely and so one of the things I do know for sure is because I have spoken to some people who have been to your talks is sometimes it's not even just a small difference you make. It's like a total game changer by getting people to think about doing things differently. So fantastic. Love it. Um, what book are you currently reading? Well, I am reading a book that I've already read, but I decided to read it again because it was mentioned the other day in the time. It is called How to Raise Successful People. Um, and it is by she's called like the godmother of Silicon Valley she has literally seen it all Um, her name is Esther I should have worked out this bit Wojcicki I think is how you pronounce it but basically it's like stop hovering and helicopter parenting and focus on what you really need to do to create capable successful people and she she says um 
I think it the what the anagram is trick trust respect independence collaboration and kindness love that what great five things if we had a whole nation of kids who are growing up to learn those five things would be incredible wouldn't it it would it really would love that um what is in your life the most useful the most helpful bit of advice that somebody's given you that you always find yourself coming back to I think just never worry about what other people think and always do what feels right for you (laughs) and parenting has become a bit of a competitive sport I keep saying to parents just you are the expert on your child focus on what you're doing and just don't worry about what anyone else is up to love that and in in life as well like worrying about what other people think often leads you down a road you don't want to go down anyway it's like just you know really connect it drains you of energy it's a waste of headspace totally love it um so what is one really practical bit of advice for our listeners that is something that they could go and do today really simple to help them get more joy in their working lives especially if they are working parent people um I think to get more joy not in your work just in your working life but just generally relationships with anyone it goes back to all those things I was saying about trying to ensure that the really important people around you feel heard and understood and really try and learn to listen to listen to anyone in any situation um just empathize put yourself in other people's shoes um even if you even if you don't agree with them just try and have those kind of glasses on where your job is well your ears need to be open but just to listen and understand um and that can help with so much kind of resolving conflict and difference and I'm massively into diversity and inclusion it's just being open-minded and listening love that and uh, I I have a little phrase is that if you are truly going to listen and you're going to step into someone else's shoes and understand things from their perspective the first thing you have to do is take your own shoes off because stepping into someone else's shoes with your own shoes on you're just judging it from your perspective if you take your own shoes off and you're genuinely in there to understand where they're coming from and not to just find a way of disagreeing or putting your thing in there is to really get under the skin of somebody else's perspective and their world such a great bit of advice Rachel it's so amazing to talk to you I would love to um for you to tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and the work you do because I think there's going to be a lot of people really interested in your advice around parenting so tell us some more about where we can find out more about you and Educating Matters. Well you can go to my website which is educatingmatters.co.uk and there is a blog section with various articles under different categories So there's lots on there about emotion coaching and growth mindset and work-life integration and everything else. Um, I'm not massively into social media other than LinkedIn, which I love because I genuinely am learning from it every day. So I do like to kind of share and comment on there. Um, Those, I would say, are the main places to find me. And I either provide support in corporates, I do talks in schools, and I also work a lot with with groups of parents and individuals. So there's lots of ways you can kind of access my support through various routes. 
fantastic and we will put those uh, comments into the show notes and the links so that people can click directly through and find out more about you and about your fantastic work Rachel it's been incredible having you on the Workjoy Jam today your advice is so good and even not being a parent person I feel like I could be a better auntie or honourable honorary auntie to lots of my friends kids as a result of what we've talked about today and I really think that there's so many parent people out there who can benefit from this conversation and take some of those little actions to make a difference to their parenting and their working lives so a huge thank you for being on the Workjoy Jam thank you so much for having me Beth anytime I'm happy to have a chat with you ah me too it's been amazing thank you thank you thank you all for listening to my conversation with Rachel there are so many things that I have taken away from that and beyond the parenting subject but just in the way of great advice for life and for work joy I loved how Rachel talked about how playing is really important and it's important for our children but it's also important for us as grown-ups at what point do we stop investing in that and stop thinking it's a really important thing and I know one for me that when I play I get so much more joy and I'm able to really focus on the things that make the biggest difference so something I'm definitely going to take away there I also love a couple of the sound bites that really come from it. I love something short that just kind of grabs my attention. And that name it to tame it. When there's an emotion there, whether that's in yourself, with your kids, whether that's with people that you work with, actually sitting down, having the empathy, saying, I get it, it's hard, let's talk about it, let's name it, let's be able to tame it in that way can make a massive difference. And I also love the one because I'm a great believer in the power of connection and people and conversation to help this shareable becomes bearable. What can you share and how can it help you and how can it help other people to be a person who can share things with you? And my final piece that I'm really taking away, and it's one that is it's really hard to do, but I, in principle, I'm so, so engaged with it, is the never worry about what other people think. And stay if you can know and understand and stay true to your values and your way of doing things and how you want to make it work and what's right for you, that we shouldn't really be worried about what other people are thinking about how we do things. So huge thank you to Rachel for joining me on the podcast. Such a great conversation. Um, do go and find out more about Rachel as uh, if you're interested. Also, if you want to find out more about Create Work Joy, you can find us on all the socials, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook at Create Work Joy. We also have a website, www.createworkjoy.com, where you can find more um, information about the podcast, different episodes, about the coaching program, the WorkJoy way, and about our growing community of people, Club WorkJoy. It's been great having you listen to our podcast today. Thank you for joining me. And I hope to um, have you listen again soon. Thanks. Thanks.